morning church let's enter his gates with thanksgiving in our hearts enter his courts with praise say this is the day the lord has made and rejoice so would you sing with me as we declare this morning church yahweh
are righteous. The righteous will run in and be safe. There's a name that levels mountains. Calls out highways through the sea. I've seen that power rival battles run of me. Yes. There's a faith. There's a faith that stands defiant. Sends Goliath to his knees. I've seen his praise unravel.
Well, good morning. Welcome to Camrail Community Church. If you're new to me and I'm new to you, my name is David. Welcome to our church. And I'll be on the patio afterwards, and so make sure you say hello, especially if you're new, because I always like to meet new people and put faces with names and all that kind of thing. Uh, if you're in online right now, welcome to you. If you're outside, if you're on in the worship room venue, Welcome as well. We're just glad that everybody could be with us this morning. I'd like to start this morning by just sharing that I was able to uh, get a reservation uh, for an airplane trip for my wife and I in June. Uh, we are a part of a movement of churches across the United States called Converge, and, and every year they have a, a conference in Denver, Colorado, and uh, kind of the leaders of the churches get together and kind of uh, encourage one another and kind of a conference of sorts. And so um, my wife and I decided to go together, and this is kind of a new thing for us because, you know, we've been raising kids all these years, and now they're getting a little older and whatnot, and so we can maybe get away a little bit together. And it's kind of exciting that we could be maybe doing some ministry stuff together rather than her letting me go and then, and then uh, coming back and her taking care of the kids while I'm gone. And so we were rather excited about this whole thing. Uh, so we purchased these tickets on this airline, and then within about a week's time, we realized, oh my gosh, it's not possible. Uh, we're still not there yet. The kids don't drive yet, and there's too many schools and, and, and getting people from here to there. And we thought, yeah, this is not going to work. And so maybe next year, but not this year. And so I went back. I said, no problem at all. I'll just cancel the, the trip, and uh, you know, we won't go this year. Maybe we can go next year. And so I went onto the website of the airline uh, kind of corporation you know, outfit, and I decided to cancel the tickets. And I realized in this particular airline that they, um, they do things a little differently than I've been aware of. Certainly, it never read the fine print or whatever. But when you cancel with this airline, they just take 50% off the top. Like, uh, 50% is gone. As a convenience fee for them, it's not like I had a travel agent who booked this for me. I booked it. I mean, I went online, I've typed everything in, and for the convenience of having their, you know, uh, their, their, their online uh, ability to, to, to get their tickets, they charge you 50%. So imagine if the tickets, I don't remember what they were, like $600, something like that, $300 gone just for the convenience of being able to, to, uh, to type in my information and secure those tickets. About a week later, I had, um, I had canceled it. And then I realized something else, that if I didn't rebook within uh, 90 days, that they could take the other 50% as well. So they take 50% right at the top just because of a convenience. Hey, we have a website for you. You did all the work, but we're going to take 50% because we had that convenience for you. And then in, if you don't rebook within 90 days, uh, for a trip within the next year, then uh, we can take all of it. And I was like, this is crazy. Is this legal? You know, and so I called my credit card company. I'm like, hey, can you like stop this charge? I mean, is this, is this, this seems wrong to me. I've never heard any kind of cancellation policy like this before. And my credit card company's like, no, it's written in the fine print and you didn't read it. And I didn't because nobody reads the fine print. And so, um, and, 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 and so I ended up staying, it's sticking. And so I ended up like losing 50% off the top just because I had to cancel a week later. And I thought to myself, wow, approach really matters. You know, I quite possibly will never, ever fly with that company again. Like, I'll never fly with them again. I mean, their approach to me just stinks. And so I will never, I will choose to pay 10 more dollars or 20 more dollars and go with Southwest or something or JetBlue or something to where I don't have to put up with that cancellation policy. And of course, I share this story and everybody's like, well, what, what airline is it? I'm like, Listen, I'm not here to put people on blast or as if my opinion matters, but I don't know, it's a frontier. And so, I, and I just thought, I, I will never, ever, you know, to be, remain nameless, I will never go with that company again and fly with that company again with that kind of crazy, you know, uh, a cancellation policy. I've never heard anything like it. I don't know if you've ever kind of 
been through something like that, or, or maybe you've, you've dealt with the icky used car salesman guy, you know, type of thing. But, but you know that feeling of like the approach just stinks. I remember one time years ago, I test drove an old Honda Accord. And it was like a used cars lot, and I was trying to get like a, a reliable vehicle, or whatever. I'm driving this, this Honda Accord, and as we're driving, it looks nice and whatever. It's got maybe 100,000 miles, but these things are supposed to last forever, so who cares, right? And so I'm driving this thing, and all of a sudden, I, I notice that in between gears, when I go from first to second gear, or second to third gear, or third to fourth gear, like it has a big clang, like clank, and clank. And I'm like, this is really interesting, you know, clank. And I asked this used car salesman guy, I go, hey, have, did you notice that when we drive this thing that it kind of clanks at like every junction point where it goes from one gear to the next, second to third, third to fourth, whatever, it kind of clanks. And he goes, oh, yeah, all Hondas do that. I go, really, all Hondas do that? Yeah, even the brand new ones do that. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, of course, that makes a lot of sense. That's why they have such a great reputation that lasts 300,000 miles, because they have a clank in between every gear shift of an automatic transmission. Like, I can just imagine, like, the executives of Honda getting together, sitting at the table and saying, I know we have this issue, but let's, let's double down on it. It's wonderful for our reputation. Let's have a clanking automatic transmission the whole way. Right. Every one of them do it, right? I'm like, I, I think I'm not going to buy that car. I don't think I'm going to listen to anything you say. You know, maybe you've dealt with something of that, of that kind of a thing, and, and you know that approach matters. Approach matters in our lives. Approach matters in our businesses. Approach matters in our work field, in our careers. Your approach matters, and it matters to the people that you are dealing with. And just like approach matters in life, approach matters in church as well. I can imagine today if you are a, uh, a guest to our church, you've never been here before, and I can imagine if you walked up to one of our ushers or our greeters and you said, hi, um, I'm new here. I've never been here before. I was just wondering, can you point me in the direction of the restrooms? And if that usher or greeter said to you in the kindest way possible, I don't know, find it yourself. Like, I can imagine that you would never come back here again. Like, you would never come back to our church. If that's the way their ushers are, if that's the way their greeters are, I'm never coming back to this church, right? Now, thankfully, we have no ushers who do that, and they never act that way. And if they do, let us know, because we'll fire them. I mean, that's right. We'll fire volunteers, you know, if that's what. But I'm, I'm just telling you that, that that doesn't happen. We get quite the opposite in the reputation of how kind our ushers are, how kind our greeters are, how above and beyond they'll walk people all the way up to the children's area and help them check their kids in when they're here for the first time. That's the kind of reputation we have. And by the way, there are some of you in this room who are gifted that way, gifted with hospitality, and you need to join those teams. Like, it's time for you to join the team and, and be that person because you feel exhilarated. You feel like you're within your purpose, you're doing what God made you to do when you're making somebody feel at home, even though they're here for the first time. That's what God built you for, and you should jump on. But, but even in church, approach matters. Approach matters. Now we're in this series, we're calling In the Works, and we're all in the works. We're in the works individually, we're in the works as a family, we're in the works in our marriage. We're in progress, all of us are, and even as a church, we're in the works we're in progress ourselves. And, and so we're looking at our church and going directionally, where are we headed? We're in progress. We're in the works. This is what we want to be. Some of these values are aspirational in nature. Some of these values are who we are. You go, Man, we, we really embody those. And, and this is just directionally where we want to go. Uh, there's a man named Will Mancini who wrote a book called Church Unique. 
And it's an interesting idea because in the book he talks about how every church has a mission from God. God lays out biblical imperatives in the Bible of what a church should be. You should be preaching the word. You should be worshiping God. You should be evangelizing. All those things are written in the word of God. And yet every church has a unique bent on how they move forward. Every church has a, looks a little different than the other one. Have you noticed that before? You may be here because you like our unique bent, whatever that might be. We decided to take a series where we just look at our unique bent. This is what we want to be. This is who we are. This is where we're headed. And for some people, they'll go, you know what? That's me, and I want it. And they double down, that's my church. And for some people, they'll go, you know what? It's good to know where they're headed because that's not exactly where I'm at either. And that's a good conversation to have as well. So we're in this series called In the Works where we're looking at all of us being in progress, and we're asking the question, how does our approach matter for where we want to go? Uh, everybody say approach matters. Approach matters. That's right. And today we're going to kind of look at Jesus Christ's ministry on the earth and see what we can learn from it. What was his approach? Like what was unique about Jesus Christ's ministry approach, and what can we learn from it? And if we could take a look at how he approached the crowd, so to speak, what might we notice? What might we emulate or strive to emulate? If there's a strategy that we can adopt for our Savior, what would it be? And is there anything surprising about his approach? For that, we're going to be in John chapter 6. I challenge you to turn there right now. If you have a computer screen, open up another window and get there. Open up your phones and get there. Uh, take highlights. Jot down some notes. We'll be in John chapter 6 where we're going to look at how our approach matters. And the overarching question is, what can we learn from Jesus' approach of the crowds during his ministry? How can we learn from how Jesus approached the crowds during his ministry? We're going to be in John chapter 6 together. Before we get to the answer of that question, I think let's just read it and see if we can come together on an answer ourselves as we read it. What can we learn from how Jesus approached the crowds during his ministry. Now, I want you to hang with me here because I guarantee you we're going someplace today that you would not be expecting. I guarantee you'd be like, wow, I w I, we're going somewhere where I didn't know he was going to take this. Let's read this together in John chapter 6, one of the more famous stories of Jesus' ministry. It says this, After Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, a large crowd follow, uh, was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Built a reputation. Jesus went up to the mountain. There he sat down with his disciples. And now the Passover feast, now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, seeing the large crowd was coming towards him, he said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test them, for he himself knew what he was going to do. And Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not even be enough for each of them to have a little one of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? And Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in that place, and so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. And Jesus took the loaves, and then he had given thanks. He distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as, much as they wanted. You might want to highlight that. And when, he had eaten, when they had eaten all their, their fill, he told the disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing would be lost. And so they gathered up and filled 12 baskets of fragments from the five barley loaves left by, the one who had eaten, by those who had eaten. And the people saw the sign that he had done. They said, indeed, this indeed is the prophet 
who has come into the world. Perceiving that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Let's stop there. What can we learn from how Jesus approached the crowds during his ministry? Now, before I give you the answer to that question, I want, I want us to ask some questions about this story that maybe we're not supposed to ask. Like you, you, you learn when you go to church, there's questions you ask and there's questions you don't ask. There's appropriate questions and there's inappropriate questions. Uh, you know, this would be too um, antagonistic to ask on the text. Can I ask a simple question? Why did he feed the crowds? Why did he feed the crowd? Like Jesus' mission on this earth is super spiritual. It's all about getting people to see and recognize their deficit before God and recognize they need him as a savior. It's all spiritual in nature. Why is he feeding the crowds? Like how does that help his spiritual endeavors? Let me also give you a kind of a a future picture of the rest of the chapter. He feeds the crowds and then they leave him by the end. We're going to see that. They turn around and say, we don't want anything to do with you. So it certainly doesn't seem to work. <laughs> Feeds the crowds. Like, Feed the crowds, they'll believe in me. Not necessarily in this one. As we're going to see later, he feeds a crowd, and they turn their back on and walk away. Why does he feed the crowds? How does that help him in his ministry? How does that help spiritually what he's doing? I mean, it's, not, it's a purely like, physical thing, right? Like, 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 why are you involved in that, Jesus? Why don't you get up and preach on the Bible? Why are you worried about whether they're eating or not? Isn't it their own responsibility to, to take care of their own families and feed themselves? Why are you concerned about that? It's, like, it's a very unspiritual thing to be doing, Jesus. Why don't you stick to the spiritual stuff? Leave the physical stuff for someone else. Why did he feed the crowd? seems like a fruitless question, but the ramifications of such a question are so profound. I want to give you my answer. Um, what can we learn from how Jesus approached the crowds during his ministry? Well, we should be open to felt need strategies. He showed us that we, it's okay to be open to felt needs as a strategy. I see the crowds coming. I know they're hungry. I'm going to feed them, and when I feed them, they'll have that part taken care of and out of their mind so now I can speak to them spiritually. I can meet them where they're at, and if I meet them where they're at, then they'll be ready to take in what I'm going to say. Now, it doesn't mean they're going to believe what I'm going to say, but at the very least, I can meet them at their felt needs so that I can get to what I need to say. And so I'm going to embrace this ideology that it's okay to minister to people's felt needs. Like it doesn't always just have to be about Greek words and super spiritual and deep theology and systematic. All No, it can just be about felt needs. Like you need this, we're going to provide this for you and in hopes that we earn your ear so we can say this. That it's okay to be about felt needs as a strategy. And we see that seems to be embodying what Jesus is doing. Uh, according to John chapter 6, there's 5,000 men in the crowd. Now, he records the men in the crowd. Matthew says there's women and children there, too. If you add the women and children to the men, there's more than 5,000. could be 10, 15,000, depending on how big families were. There's a lot of thousands of people there. 
And he's certainly using this as an opportunity to train his disciples, there's no doubt. He's going out of his way to see how much faith they have and train them for future. No doubt at all. Philip, what are we going to do to feed these people? He already knew in his mind what he was going to do. And yet at the same time, he's trying to challenge them to think, can he do it? Can he, can he do the miraculous? No doubt. But there seems to be a purpose for the crowd as well. And we're going to see that as we continue looking through this text. All four Gospels record this miracle. Did you know that there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels? The first three are called the Synoptic Gospels because they're kind of similar together. And the fourth one, John, is the one who has has a lot more. It's almost like he went to the other ones and said, well, they didn't write this, so I'll write this down, you know, kind of thing. We don't have very many stories that are on all four. And so when we find a story that's been on all four Gospels, go, you know what, that's a pretty big deal. Like, this is obviously very significant for all four Gospels to have written it down. But unlike the majority of his miracles, this one seems to be kind of physical in nature more than spiritual. And like, like, what is this doing to, to help the cause of your purpose and mission of what you're trying to do, Jesus? Like, why do this? Why is it necessary to do this? But it's more than that. It's not just physical. You might remember when Jesus went and he raised Lazarus from the dead. Remember that? And that was symbolic of that he is the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. I'll prove it to you. I'll raise him from the dead. And if I can raise him from the dead, I can raise you from the dead. I am the resurrection and the life. That was the purpose of that miracle. And this miracle similarly shows that he is the manna from heaven. I am the bread of life, the bread from heaven. I am your very provision, your very deliverance. But he can't get the crowd to see that until they aren't hungry anymore. And maybe if he could just feed them physically, they'd embrace the idea that he wants to feed them spiritually as well. So I'm going to meet you where you're at. I'm going to meet you at your physical needs in hopes that one day I can meet your spiritual need as well. You know, we do a lot of things around here. Um, um, we haven't done one in a while. We'll, we'll come back to it. Um, but we've done like Trunk or Treat where we have like over a thousand people on our campus and we give a whole bunch of candy out to little kids and we ask you to decorate your, your, your cars and whatever. And we've taken some time off because of COVID and all that kind of stuff and whatever. But, but we'll come back to those type of things. And, and there's nothing said about Jesus on that night. There's not an opportunity to say, everybody sit down, let's tell you about the gospel. We we don't have that opportunity. We're just being available to the community to be open. And we're just meeting their physical needs. And it's a a felt need you have. Everybody dresses up, see these little kids dressed up with machetes and, you know, all kinds of ugly, dark things. We pray over them in the name of Jesus, give them a candy bar, you know. And we're hoping that one day they say to themselves, you know what, Uh, I want to investigate this whole Christianity thing, that they might come to a place that was welcoming to them in the past. They might come to a church and say, well, you know what? They had trunk or treat. We've done other things like a tailgating. Uh, remember we did that tailgate thing, like a barbecue. Hey, it's football season. Bring your jerseys, and we're going to tailgate outside, and we're going to have a blast together. And again, there, we do these activities that people might not don the doors of our church on a Sunday morning, but they will to one of these events. We've done car shows. We've done, we've done concerts. We've done all kinds of things. And then all the whole idea is if we can be just welcoming to you, and then you say, well, that church is kind of welcoming. Maybe I'll try them on a Sunday morning. Maybe if we meet you at the physical needs, you'll allow us to help you see your spiritual need as well. And by the way, that's not wrong. And it's not less biblical, and it's not less spiritual. If it was, then Jesus did something wrong that was less biblical and less spiritual. We should be open to felt need strategies. And it's not wrong in and of itself to do something like that. Here's the interesting thing. 
This passage is often used to do what I'm doing with it right now. Make a defense for felt need ministry philosophies. But here's the thing. Most people don't go to the end of the chapter. They'll just stay there, verses 1 through 15. There's like 66 verses in this chapter. And they'll just say, see, Jesus met people at their physical needs, and we should meet them at their physical needs. See, we should meet people at their felt needs. And sermon's over. And they don't cross-reference the second half of the passage. I didn't want to do that to you today, so we're going to look at that. What can we learn from how Jesus approached the crowds during his ministry? Number one, we should be open to felt need strategies. But number two, we should also reject superficiality. Oh, boy. That seems like the opposite. We should also reject superficiality. Now, I don't have enough time to go through 60 verses together, so I'm going to hit some highlights, and I'm going to challenge you to go home and read the rest. But we're, I want to tell you something. He does both. He does, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to embrace felt need strategies, but I'm also going to reject superficiality. I'm going to show you how he does it. Let's go to John chapter 6, verse 25 through 27. It says this, when they found him on the other side of the sea, this is the next day now, after he's already uh, fed the 5,000, uh, um, they found him on the other side of the sea. They don't know how he got there. Rabbi, when did you get here? He walked on water. They didn't see him get in the boat, but they're following wherever he's going because he's on healing people and feeding people, and like, wherever he goes, we want to be. And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. You're not impressed by the miraculousness. You just want to eat some more. That was a kind of fancy magic trick you did. Can you do it again? Do not work for food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man can give to you and will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Let's, let's jam forward a little bit to verse 47. Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. That's why I did that miracle, to show you that I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and they died. But this bread that comes down from heaven so that you may eat of it and not die, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for life of the world is my flesh. Let's go to verse 52. And then the Jews then disputed among themselves saying, how could this be? How could this guy, is he really telling us to eat his flesh? Is it cannibalistic here? And so Jesus said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat of my flesh, eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink of his blood, you have no life. Now look what happens in verse 66. And after this, many of his disciples did what? Turn back and no longer what? Walked with him. Same chapter. Feeds the 5,000, verse 66. Nope, we're done. We don't want any part of this. We're out of here. He both meets people at their need, their physical need, their felt need, and then he rejects superficiality at the same time. Here's what's going on. The crowd gets a little manipulative. And again, I'll challenge you to go back and read it today. They get a little manipulative. Hey, we remember a great leader in the Old Testament. In the days of old, there's a guy named Moses, and he fed us in the wilderness. And you did something like that yesterday when you fed everybody from the fish and loaves. We want to see more of that. If God used a leader in the Old Testament named Moses and he fed us from manna in the desert so we had food, then what can you do for us? Can you give us some more of that? We want to, we want to see some more of that. Like we want steak and lobster. That was a fancy, dancy little magic deal you did yesterday. Can you get, can we have another meal? 
Now it's Passover season. This is really significant. Early on in chapter 6, we saw that it was Passover season. Why is that so significant? Because Passover is like a tie in the Jewish mind to the Old Testament when Moses delivered them from Egypt and the enslavement that they were to the Egyptians. And so they're thinking to themselves, if only we had a leader who could rescue us from enslavement. But they're thinking enslavement from the Romans, and Christ is thinking, I can release you from your enslavement to your own sin. And so just like manna came from heaven as provision for you, so the Son of Man came from heaven as provision for you. And just like you ate to your own nourishment, you can eat spiritually to your own nourishment. And I can solve your problem of sin. This is all the analogy that's working, that should be working in the mind, but they're thinking about something different in the physical realm, and he's thinking about something in the spiritual realm. He's thinking about saving their souls, and they're thinking about, man, I'm hungry, I want some Burger King. Double Whopper, please. You know, uh, last week I was with my brother in um, Chicago. I flew to, I flew to um, uh, Milwaukee. My, it was my wife's birthday gift to me. And then we took a train from Milwaukee down to Chicago and went to the 49er game in the rain, and it was horrible. And, uh, and then we went to uh, the Giants. San Francisco Giants were playing the Cubbies, so we went to Wrigley Field. And if you're a friend of mine on social media, you see we put some pictures together. My brother, my brother and I don't get to see each other very much because we live like 3,000 miles apart or whatever. And so we're over there, and we get the, you know, the hot dogs, Chicago hot dogs. We did everything. It was a blast. It was an absolute blast. We were talking together. We were reminiscing about when we were kids, and we had a favorite place to eat. And this doesn't sound crazy, but in Vallejo, California, there's a, there was a place called Smorgabobs. I don't know if it was a chain or what, or if it was just its own store. But before there was like Hometown Buffet and like Golden Corral, they had the chains. They had this place called Smorgabobs, and it was the same idea. You could walk in there, pay eight bucks or ten bucks, and eat whatever you want. Fifteen different dinners, fifteen different lunches, 25 different, you know, uh, uh, desserts. You know what I mean? You could have fried chicken, roast beef pasta, pizza, everything at the same time. And then that's, now it's time for dessert. Which one of the 25 do you want? Put ice cream on it. Put tapioca on it. Do whatever you want to it, right? You guys ever been to these places? When I was a kid, they were like, it's like my favorite place in the world to go is the Smorgabobs, you know? And, and they're approaching Jesus like he's, a, like he's a, the, the, the cook at Smorgabobs. <laughs> like, like, like what, what can you make for us now? She said, I'm trying to help you with your soul, and you're asking me for a meal. What can you do for me now? And by the way, sometimes we as non-believers in our perspective of what God is there for, and even as believers in our perspective of what God is there for, we can have this perspective. God is there to suit my needs. God is there to suit me. Like, if I get him on my side, I can get what I want in this life. When Jesus said, no, no, I'm here for you to worship. I'm here to be God. I'm here to save your soul. I'm not here to just feed your consumeristic pleasures. I've got more than that. He says, I'm not giving you any more food. In fact, the only food I'll give you is my flesh and blood. And of course, they're thinking, this is cannibalism. This guy's crazy. And they turn away and walk away from But we know what he was talking about is I'm going to sacrifice my life. Bread represents my body. Blood represents my blood. For two centuries later, believers have been coming and eating his body and drinking his blood 
in a representative sense for 2,000 years. That's the only sign I'll give you. By the way, it's a holy right for believers. If you're not a believer, don't jump into that yet. Come to know Christ first. And for you who are believers, it's supposed to be a powerful, ritualistic, kind of a beautiful thing. I love the Lutheran view that Christ is in and amongst. His real presence is in the elements. Of course, we're not drinking blood. We're not drinking, eating actual flesh. But there's something special about that activity. That's the last sign I'll give you. You'll be eating and drinking of it for centuries to come. Representing that I will give you my life and substitute for yours. But they couldn't handle that. So they turned away. We liked it when you were making steak and lobster. We're not really down this whole cannibalistic thing. We're out. See you later. And again, sometimes we approach God like he's a lucky charm, a rabbit's foot, or a genie in the bottle. If you meet my needs, then I'm with you, God. If you don't, I'm out. And here Jesus says, no, that's pretty superficial. I'm done with that. I was willing to meet your need so I can earn your ear to tell you about some spiritual things, but I'm not going to hang out there and feed your entitlement on this. There's a line. We've gone too far now. I'm not feeding you anymore. You're going to have to accept me as your Savior, eat my flesh, drink my blood, if you want anything else to do with me. So check it out. In a sense, he meets them right where they're at, and in another sense, he doesn't put up with their superficiality. In a sense, he meets them right where they're at, physical, felt needs, and in another sense, he doesn't stay there and, and give in to their superficiality. Like he, he, he does like a, a, a yes and no kind of approach. And we desire to be a balance, just like he was as a church. That we'd be expository in one sense and we'd be attractional in another sense. In fact, our big idea today. We desire to find balance between being expository and attractional. Don't get lost in the big words. I'll define them. We desire to be, find the balance between being expository and attractional. We want to do both. Expository. It describes a systematic way that we're going to learn from the Bible. Word by word. Sentence by sentence. Paragraph by paragraph. Verse by verse. Bible book teaching. It's like our forever flavor. That's what we're going to be as a church. That's what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to be expository in nature. And at the same time, we're going to be attractional. We'll appeal to felt needs. We'll be okay with that. We'll appeal to felt needs to gain an audience so we can share the gospel, share the truths, deeper truths of the scripture. We're going to try to be both. We're going to do a both and. And I find it to be very consistent with Christ's own approach and his own strategy on his ministry on earth. He fed them in their physical hunger, but he wouldn't feed into their manipulative expectations. He met them in their legitimate felt needs, but he wouldn't meet their illegitimate desire for entertainment. He was amiable towards an approach that used superficial items to usher in an opportunity to proclaim the truth, but he was not amiable to an approach that would promote spiritually fruitless entitlement. It was a yes and no approach. Yes, I'll meet you, but I'm not going to allow you to stay superficial. Yes, I'll meet you where you're at, but I'm going to call you to higher calling. I'm going to ask you to raise your game. We desire to find a balance between expository and being attractional. We decided to find a balance, you can flip it around from being attractional and yet expository. And I want to kind of share what that looks like in our uniqueness. Um, I've shared these slides before, but it's so important to keep being clear about where we're headed and, and who we are and what we're trying to be. And, and it really is the strategy of our church. How are we going to strategize 
to meet both of these sides of the pendulum, so to speak. If you imagine church being like on a pendulum swing, there's like traditional church and then there's progressive church. And it just swings back and forth. And you go to a different church and you try, that one's a traditional church and this one swings more progressive. I don't like using the word progressive right now because it's now become a theological buzzword. I'm not using it that way. I'm talking about style. There's traditional style of church and then you swing the other way and there's progressive style of church. See how that works? And, and so they've got a pendulum swing and each church is somewhere on this pendulum. And I just want to describe for you where we are as a church so you know exactly what you're getting into. Like, is this a church for me or is it not a church for me? Well, let us describe what we're trying to be, and you can decide if it fits your values or not. First, uh, uh, let's look at the traditional side, and then we'll look at the progressive side, and then finally we'll come back and we'll decide, we'll share what we are. All right? So in the traditional church, you see these type of things. Very friendly, deeper in relationships. Smaller churches excel in this area because they're small. Everybody knows everybody's name. House lights are on all the time. It's super bright, no theatrical lighting. They don't go dim. They don't go dark. Pew, stained glass, lime green carpet. How many of you guys remember having a kitchen that had lime green cabinets? It was in at one point. That's why it came to the church. It wasn't holy. It was just in, in the 50s or whatever. If you still have lime green cabinets in your, in your house, it's time to change. That was funnier in my mind. All right. Uh, these churches are high challenge, expository preaching, preaching through Bible books. That's their, that's their kind of, uh, their mode, all right? Uh, also, they are low uh, musical volume, emphasis on the mid-range. Uh, they don't necessarily like the bass levels, you know, rumbling on your chest. They don't like the high levels. Today, we all have Bose ear systems now. We hear, we're so used to hearing every different sound. But back then, we just, we just want mid-range stuff. And we don't want it to be too loud. Uh, emphasis on past legacy and historical su success. God-centered worship. There's high theological content in their song selection. And then there's vacant parking lots. Uh, oftentimes you drive by these churches and they have huge parking lots and not a lot of cars in them. Um, that's just the truth of the matter. Uh, we keep on going. They have non-thriving youth and children's ministries as the church doesn't attract younger families anymore. A great emphasis on discipleship. They have a ritualistic, liturgical vibe oftentimes. They have a low view of technology. Why do we need technology? That's, why do we waste money on that stuff? We don't need that stuff. We just need the Bible. And usually there's an older demographic in those churches. Now, let's swing over to the progressive side and look at what those churches kind of look like. A lot of times in these churches you see self-help, uh, light messages, uh, low biblical content, uh, not a lot of challenge in these churches. I-centered worship. Uh, worship is about me feeling good about myself. I want to leave. I want to feel good. I want to feel guilty. And so if, it makes me, if the church makes me feel guilty, I don't go to that church kind of thing. Theatrical settings, smart lights, lots of fog, loud music, featuring low-end and high-end sound, emphasis on marketing and branding of their church. See a lot of that. We'll keep on going. Yeah, low-challenge church, they're not really, we don't want people to feel bad, and so we just kind of keep things light, cookies on the bottom shelf. Packed parking lots, multiple services, high emphasis on multimedia, LED walls, motion lighting, smart lights, all that kind of stuff. Thriving in attractional uh, uh, children's and youth ministries. Why? Because they're, 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 they're reaching a younger demographic. And so we look at those things, and you probably see pluses, minuses on both sides, Right? There's pluses to the uh, traditional churches, pluses to the progressive churches, minuses to the traditional church, things that we don't want. There's minuses to the progressive church, things that we don't want in style. So what are we going to be? Great. Glad you asked the question. Let's start with the traditional side. 
and we'll tell you which elements of the traditional church side we are trying to emulate and then which elements of the progressive side we're trying to emulate. We're going to try to be very friendly and deep in relationships. This is why we do growth group ministry. We've been promoting all month getting a growth group. We want you to have somebody who knows your name and knows your need, somebody who's praying for you, somebody who's walking through life with you. If you'll join that, you'll have a place in this church where you'll be feel founded. You'll feel like I'm family deep with somebody in this church. They love me. They know me. Can't do that on this side. I wish I could do that for everybody here. I can't. It's too big. We're going we're gonna to try to jump into that. We're going to be high challenge in biblical teaching. Um, I'm already planning uh, turn of the year in January. We're probably going to be in 1 Samuel. I'm going to think about getting the staff together to plan out that series. I don't know how long it's going to be. It's going to be a long one. After we're done with 1 Samuel, I'm already in my mind going, I'm heading towards Romans in the New Testament. Romans is probably going to be like a two-year series at least. And we're going we're gonna to do that. We'll be, we'll be a high-challenge biblical teaching church. That's not going to change. That's not going to change. Hopefully I still have some funny jokes in here and then keep people's attention, but we're going to be a high-challenge biblical teaching church. We're going to be God-centered in worship. It doesn't mean we won't do eye-centered songs, but the, the embodiment of our worship time will be that we, we, we worship God. We count you worthy. This is a, an opportunity to say you are worthy. Worthy ship, we give you worth. Not you give me worth, I give you worth. Now it's amazing. I worship God and I leave feeling encouraged. Why does he do that? I don't know. That's awesome. But that's not the purpose. The purpose is to count him worthy. Say he's awesome. Bestow him with the goodness that he is and praise him for all he's done in our lives. That's what true worship is. We will lean towards that direction. We'll have an emphasis on discipleship. We want people to grow in their faith. Uh, that's why we teach so heavy. That's why we have, that's why we do what we do, because we want to do that. Now let's look at the progressive elements of church. And uh, we will be theatrical and lighting. We're going to meet people at felt needs. Oh, uh-oh. This ties to the message somehow, doesn't it? Just like Christ met people where they're at, at their felt needs, we're going to meet them there in the effort to earn their ear so we can speak spiritual truths to them will be theatrical and lighting. Musical volume, uh, low, we will emphasize the low end, the high end. You'll feel a little bass rumbling. You'll hear the high end. Uh, young folks like, again, they're buying the bow stereos. They want to hear all that stuff. I just met with Pastor Steve at uh, New Life Church in Oxnard a couple weeks ago. Sat down with them. I was like, man, I've been to your church. You guys pump it. Please keep on blasting people out of their seats because you make me look like an angel. Because uh, we're not that loud, but we're loud. So if you think I'm loud, go there, and you'll come back saying, Pastor, I love you. You're awesome. That's what we need. We need more of that. All right, we're going to want to be attracting a younger generation, a younger demographic. We want to take one, uh, our church of 60 years of history. We've been talking about this a lot. We want to get into a second life cycle where we can say, you know what? The investment of the past is keeping, keeping on going in the future. We don't want our best days to be behind us because that just means that we have no vision. We want our best days to be in front of us. We need to get into a second generation. We need to have young families come again to our church. We need to do that Ten more times if we're going to thwart the, uh, the, the life cycle of a church paradigm. If we can do that, by the way, we'll alleviate a lot of funds that we're going towards the bank and the first generation of church who can now go straight to ministry in the second generation of church, which is exciting. That's the exciting piece for me. Multimedia emphasis, there will be a day, I believe it, hopefully sooner rather than later, there'll be a big LED wall behind me. Young folks love technology. We're going to embrace it. There's a screen everywhere. There's a screen in your car now. There's a screen in your car. I know, because when I went... On my trip, I, I rented a, have you guys done Turo yet? It's like an app. Turo, you can get like, I could have rented like an economy, you know, podunk car at like, you know, dollar rent a car. Or I can get a Tesla for the same price. I'm like, I'm the Tesla. The Tesla talks to you, it turns, changes lanes for you, does everything for you. Big screen in the center. I'm sitting there texting because it's driving itself. It does. It's, don't do that. I don't recommend it. Um, all that to say, technology's everywhere. We're going to embrace a little bit of it. There'll be a day, 
praying to God that sooner rather than later we'll have an LED wall. Uh, we want to attract, we want to have very attractional our youth and children's ministries. We're already kicking butt there. We have amazing youth pastors that make our youth ministries, they make your kids love church, which is awesome. And so we are going to try to be a balance between expository and attractional. Attractional. We want to attract people. Why? Because we have a message that can change their lives, change their marriages, change their eternal destiny. That's why. And it's worth it to say, I'm going to put down my preferences every once in a while so that someone else can know Christ. And I didn't invest in this church 30 years ago, 20 years ago, 15 years ago to see it close its doors. No, we'll make the changes we need to make. We'll reach the next generation. You went to church in your 30s, to the church that you loved and met your needs and met your felt needs, and now the 30-year-olds of this generation want to do the same. Let's meet them there. We may save your grandkids in the process. We want to find the balance of being expository and yet attractional. And by the way, when they turned around on Jesus and said, no, no, we don't buy what you're saying, and they left, he didn't necessarily go running after them. And we'll do the same as a church. We'll be attractional, come on in, we have a message. If you don't like it, you can walk, it's okay. We're not gonna go running after you. This is the word of God. We will not change the message for anybody and their preferences. We'll stick to it. We'll stick to it. But I believe when the Spirit of God is wooing the soul, people will get saved not even ever understanding or believing they even wanted God. I just spent a week with my newly saved brother, a weekend, last weekend, and I can't believe how truly saved he really is. It's incredible. Well, you might even think of it as our slogan. CAMCC, where we're expository, expository and attractional, or we're attractional yet expository. Expository and attractional, that's what we are. I can't figure you guys out. Are you, too, are you progressive, or are you a biblical church? Or, are you traditional, or, or are you like a cutting-edge church? We're both. For all of it, too many kids going to these churches not learning enough of the Bible because they like the lights and the fog and everything. How about we give you the lights and the fog and then we preach the Word of God? That's, that's what we're trying to be. Meet people at their felt needs and then challenge the bahookies out of them. Some people say it won't work. That won't work. People don't want to be challenged. Really? Really? There are people all over the world joining Al-Qaeda because they're looking for something to die for. People from Western civilizations going to other countries because they found something they could die for. I happen to have like a weird, a weird um, deal in my mind. Like I'm not trying to cater to your smaller attention spans. I'm trying to make your attention span more for God. Like I, I want to expand the attention span for theology, for the gospel, for Christ, Christology, all these things. I'm going I'm to push you a little bit more and hang out here and get saturated in the Word of God and fall in love with it. Man, you have plenty of time for your baseball and basketball and football, and I do the same. Or your makeup and all the... Well, I can't you give some more attention span to God? I just, I just refuse to believe that people don't want more of God. And so we're going to drive home on it. We'll chance people. There may be people who walk. That's okay. No, people who will embrace it and go, you know what? I want to grow in my faith. That's what we're going to be about. We're going to use strategies for felt needs, and then we're going to challenge the bahookies out of anybody's in the room. Why don't you close your eyes? I'm done with time. Let's pray together. Father, we just want to follow the example of Jesus Christ. 
somehow he was able to be able to speak to all groups, the religious sex segment, overly critical and overly legalistic. He'd speak to them, speak to them where they're at. And yet he could find room for the tax collector, the Samaritan woman. The, he was able to reach all people. And all you felt needs, if that means it brings you into the realm where I can earn your ear so you can listen to spiritual things. And by the way, if you reject me, it's okay. I won't necessarily go running after you, but I will meet you where you're at because you matter that much to me. I will meet you where you're at because you matter that much to me. I'm willing to do it. I'm willing to do it. In fact, when I go and I meet at your house and I have a meal with you, all the religious folks are gonna be saying, oh, we got them now. You're not supposed to do that. You're not supposed to eat with sinners. Associate with a Samaritan. We don't even walk on their land. But I'll do it. I'll do it because I love you. I'll do it because I want to woo your soul. I'll do it. But I will not put up with superficiality either. I'll meet you where you're at. I'm going to challenge you in your faith to grow. Go and sin no more, he says to the woman who caught in adultery. I'll meet you there in mercy, but you go and sin no more. It's time to grow up. It's time to step up. time to move towards him. I'll meet you there, but I will not put up with superficiality. Help us be the embodiment of that as a church. Help us do both. Help us do both. And let this church have another 30, 40, 50 years of awesome worshipful service to our God proclaiming the gospel of our Savior. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I've got a friend He's closer than a brother There is no judgment on how he loves me I've got a friend And he is my
really loves us, and we see that throughout the scriptures, from his creation story to his salvation story and our sanctification story. We praise him for all he's done and will do.
got chills. That was awesome. You can go ahead and have a seat. Um, it's good to be in the house of the Lord with you guys today. You know, there may be someone in here who doesn't know Jesus, and I don't know how you could possibly not know him after that. But if so, you know, maybe you're here and you're just kind of tired of pursuing this world, this messed up world we're living in, and doing the life your way. That's going to leave you tired and empty and wanting. Uh, true fulfillment and happiness and the abundant life is through Jesus. And if you're, yes. And if you're here today, uh, maybe it, you're here and you're ready. God's been doing something in here to bring you here in the first place. And you're ready to surrender and just give up on the world and turn towards Jesus Christ. He wants to forgive your sins. His death on the cross was a sacrifice to pay the debt for your sin and my sin. And all you have to do is accept it, make him the Lord of your life, and begin following and living life his way. If you're ready to do that, you, uh, we want to be here for you in that process. We have people who want to walk you through that process at the welcome counter in the lobby on the left-hand side. Um, and if you're online, go to campcc.net, click on next steps, and fill out the form there, and one of our pastors will get back to you. But it can start as easy as a prayer where you just say, Lord, I give up, and I want you, and I want your forgiveness. All right. For we're going to worship the Lord through giving of tithes and offerings. If you're a guest, we don't really have any expectation of you to participate in this. This is for those of us who call this our home. Um, but you can give online, kemcc.net. You can text any amount to 84321. And we have an offering box in the lobby if that's what you want to use. All right. Check out this video of what's coming up next. What's up, mis amigos? Yo soy Jacob Salas, and I'm the new middle school pastor here at CamCC. Who writes these scripts? I'm so glad you're here. If you're a first, second, or third time guest, we have some gifts for you to thank you for hanging out with us. We want to put a face to the name, so please walk over to the welcome counter in the lobby with a connection card, or if you're watching online, go to camcc.net slash next steps. I'm so excited as we kick off the fall for our middle school and our entire church. It's a great season to invite someone to join you, coworkers, neighbors, friends, family. Don't believe me? Check out what's happening around here at CAMCC. The month of September, growth group signups. Check this out. Just an eight-week commitment to grow in your faith and get connected with others at CAMCC. You may be thinking, Jacob, I've never been to a growth group. Well, it's time to give her a try. It's just eight weeks, bro. The kickoff is September 18th. For the lowdown, contact Jim Moyer at camcc.net or sign up on the patio or online. October 21st to 23rd, men's retreat. Join the men of CAMCC for a weekend retreat in the glorious Golden Hills of Malibu with Rob Orham teaching on biblical manhood. Can't go wrong with a dose of biblical manhood. There's plenty of downtime for outdoor activities, games, or just relaxing. I used to play football and wrestle, so maybe we expand the activities? Just saying. Check out the men's table on the patio for more information. Vision meetings. Vision meetings start this month. If you didn't get an invite mailed to your home and you would like to attend, please let us know and we can make sure that you're a part of one of the six vision meetings that we're holding this month. Just email michelle at camcc.net. Video venue. If you haven't heard, we just opened an alternative video worship venue for those who love our church but prefer a lower volume level of worship. Once again, thank you so much for being here. To stay in the loop of what's going on at CAMCC, follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. 
For more intel on any of these events, go to camcc.net. Thank you, Pastor Dave, for that message and for detailing out the direction of the church so that as a congregation, we know how to support that moving forward. Um, Remember, if it's your first time here, or actually second or third time, make sure you go to the welcome counter to get your gift. If you're watching online, you can get your gift at campcc.net slash next steps. And also, we would love for you guys to invite somebody um, to join you next week. And make sure you join us on the patio for coffee and donuts and see you all next Sunday.